Well, just like what is your job in a recall, it completely depends on who you are, how you answer that question. If you're a CEO, a fast, efficient recall means your brand isn't exposed in the media too long, it means that the cost of processing the recall is going to be relatively low, and it means that your liability exposure is going to be contained. Everybody's got to eat, and nobody likes getting sick. That's why heroes toil in the shadows, keeping your food safe at all points, from the supply chain to the point of sale. Join industry veterans Francine L. Shaw and Matt Ragusi for a deep dive into food safety. It all boils down to one golden rule. Don't eat poop. Don't eat poop. So, Roger... <laughs> This is Roger Hancock. We're at the Food Safety Consortium. And Roger, you and I have known each other for a while now. And I really love what you do. And we talk a lot on our podcast about recalls. And you're like the king of recalls. Is that what you call yourself? Is that what your wife calls you, Roger? The king of recalls? I'm not going to tell you either what I call myself or what my wife calls me. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. But King isn't one of those names. So quickly tell us about yourself and how you came to create Recall InfoLink. Sure, thanks, Matt. Happy to be here. Uh, After 15 years at Albertsons leading their food safety and quality function and doing 250 recalls a year that all had problems, I thought, Why not try to solve this problem for the industry? So 15 years ago, I left Albertsons and I founded Recall InfoLink. We're a supply chain process management system that serves clients from manufacturers all the way to consumers, processing recalls, making them easier and faster, and getting the right message to the right people at the right time so they can do the right thing. And Albertsons is this little tiny supermarket, right? Yeah, pretty small. Like, I think they're number three. <laughs> and how many how many stores is right now? Like 2,300. 2,300 stores. And you talk about 250 recalls, and that makes absolute sense when you have 2,300 stores. And 40,000 suppliers and is 40, the bigger thing. 40,000 suppliers. So you've been... 15 years at Albertsons, 15 years at Recall InfoLink. So 30, 30 years, years in the recall business. Yeah. Okay. So what is the importance of a fast, efficient recall? Well, just like what is your job in a recall, it completely depends on who you are, how you answer that question. If you're a CEO, a fast, efficient recall means your brand isn't exposed in the media too long means that the cost of processing the recall is going to be relatively low, and it means that your liability exposure is going to be contained. If you're a consumer, fast means maybe I didn't buy the product because it got off the shelf before I bought it, which protects me, or maybe if I bought it, I got to take it out of my pantry or out of my refrigerator before I ate it, which also protects you. So depending on your perspective, Faster is better because of the protection that it provides either to your business or to your person or to your family. Faster is better. So the general public perceives recalls as a bad thing. 
but that's not necessarily true. Can you explain why? Well, some recalls are removing product that could cause harm. More recalls, though, remove product that have some defect or some problem with them. It isn't really going to hurt anybody, but for business reasons or for compliance reasons, product needs to get out of the supply chain. So only a fraction of the recalls that ever happen actually pose a risk to people. Well, more recalls that happen don't pose any risk. They're just being removed for business reasons that may relate to quality or packaging or something like that. Right. You were going to tell us something about... A recall. Recall. Friday the 13th. You can't make this stuff up. So I get emails when recalls happen. Friday the 13th. Toxic, waster, slime, liquor, like with your tongue liquor. <laughs> Wait, what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Say that again. Not liquor, alcoholic liquor. Toxic, waster, slime, liquor products were recalled. And you can't make this up. This was Friday the 13th. Of course, it's on Friday the 13th. Toxic, waster, slime, liquor was recalled because... Some of the product was dissociating and it could cause a choking hazard. Now, there's a potential for somebody to get harmed there. But I think the better reason to recall that product is just because of the name. <laughs> oh, wow, Roger. That is a winner. Yeah, I, I, I have nothing. <laughs> wow. You know how much Slime it takes Slime for... and toxic and liquor all in the same product name. Who thought this up? Okay, first off, it takes a lot for Francine and I to be speechless. And knowing you for a very long time, Roger, I did not think in this interview you were going to be the one to do it. <laughs> we have a podcast called Don't Eat Poop. Clearly, you need to change the name. Speechless. You need to change often. the name. Don't Eat Toxic Slime Liquor. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And then you can have a subtitle, Don't Eat Poop. <laughs> By the way, don't eat poop either. It is a toxic slime liquor. <laughs> it is hilarious. So, but the, the, the recall business is a business that either you find humor in or it drives you crazy. And it may drive you crazy because recalls aren't fun, because recalls can cause problems. But more likely it's going to drive you crazy because of all of the inattention that creates the problems of recalls. People need to pay attention to recalls to make them happen faster and easier. So do you think that there, because there are so many recalls and there are a lot of, there's a lot of recalls. Do you think there becomes a complacency to recalls? Great question, Francine. We do sometimes notify people out of a courtesy. Our clients choose to notify some of their customers out of courtesy that they didn't buy the recalled product. And what we find is that too many of those courtesy notifications end up creating a habit of, oh, I don't need to look at this because it's a courtesy notification. And so, so there's a risk there. And as I'm listening to all of the focus about consumer notification, I'm wondering about that same risk because I've heard, well, these products got recalled. I know I bought them at Costco or someplace like that, and I didn't get a letter. Well, just because a product is recalled doesn't mean you purchase the exact lot code or sell-by date 
or other characteristic of a recalled product that would generate a notice to you. And so, so as we think about consumer notification and even as we think about streamlining business notification, it takes a real savvy person to know how to do it correctly so that you don't have unintended consequences of either ignoring or creating a panic on the other side because of some recall that you're wanting to tell people. That makes you think about, I, we've talked multiple times on the podcast about why loyalty cards are so important for understanding recalls, for getting recall notices. And I learned this from you because your software, Recall InfoLink, allows retailers and food service companies to actually connect directly to consumers who have bought product utilizing their loyalty cards. Was that a huge innovation and a big shift for the recall services and businesses like yours is the ability to notify consumers directly? Well, it's been happening for quite a while now. I think the big shift was to realize if I have loyalty card data, I can use it for other things than just marketing. And as data gets mined more and more, some of the uses are good, some of the uses are not preferred by consumers. This is one of the uses that I think consumers really buy into. Hey, one of the side benefits of giving you my loyalty card data isn't just you can give me coupons that I want, but you can also tell me if I bought something that I need to be aware of need to avoid consuming. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. That's so true. And then, and that was one of the things I said was maybe giving up some of your data, your information. That is one of the benefits of that whole entire process. I know you've been on the forefront of creating a recall ready community. What does that mean? What does that look like in the industry? Yeah. Well, thanks for asking, Matt. Some of our data says that when recalls happen slowly or over time, the problem isn't individual companies performing a recall. They know pretty much what to do. The problem is between companies. And the bigger the recall, the more companies get involved in passing data from place to place. It tends to slow things down. You can imagine a game of telephone tag. The message consistency changes. Just problems start to escalate. And so our concept is if preparedness is done as a community or as a supply chain, then those gaps can be identified ahead of time and can be corrected or addressed ahead of time so that when everybody's hair on fire is on fire and a recall is happening, they aren't having to solve problems that they've already identified and solved in the first place. So we think that processing recalls as a supply chain or community will end up in a better result for everybody, lower cost, lower liability, lower brand damage, lower consumer harm, lower exposure. And then what has been the biggest recall you have ever worked on? Well, the only thing I need time to think of is how to tell you about this complex recall. <laughs> it, 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 is, it instantly comes to mind. So the day before Christmas Eve day, 2002, there was the first and only BSE Mad Cow recall in the U.S. And though our policy said, though Albertson's policy said we don't buy downer cattle, somehow the cow, the downed cow from a branch in Colorado got into our supply chain and got shipped to our stores in the Northwest. 
And I spent every day from that day, including Christmas Eve, including Christmas, including New Year's Eve, including New Year's, all the way until the end of January, on the phone with stores, with company executives, with USDA officials, documenting the recall, producing certificates of destruction per store, per lot. It was a nightmare. That's the biggest recall I've ever done. Wow. I can't even begin to imagine. Yeah. And I've done spinach recalls and I've done peanut butter recalls. I've done lots of big recalls. That one by far, it was work every day for over a month. Wow. Work every day for a month. Over a month. Over a month. And you, and on that recall, what was the gist of the complexity of that and the size of it? Well, there was a lot of concern slash fear about mad cow disease at the time. The U.S. was doing a lot to keep mad cow out of the country. This one cow, nobody knew was there. Nobody suspected was there. And all of a sudden, there's a cow that tests positive for BSE, and it was in our supply chain. And so there were no protocols for how to handle it. There were no regulations around how to handle it. And so a lot of it was figured out as you go. And so it just made it really complex. You have company executives who are concerned about the company, about the public, about consumers, about process, about getting back in business. You have the regulators that are concerned about keeping people safe, properly disposing of product, properly documenting disposal, and one desk that was managing all of that. It was a lot of work. That was a long time ago, and I was not personally involved, but I can vaguely remember what a nightmare the whole mad cow thing was within the food service industry itself, just yeah. the fear. It affected trade with Tokyo and Japan. It affected trade with Canada. It affected trade with Mexico. It affected trade with Argentina. It was a huge deal, and it happened once the day before Christmas Eve 2002. Well, okay. Can you explain this phenomena of outbreaks happening consistently at five o'clock on a Friday? <laughs> um, how deep of an explanation do you want? <laughs> it could be. They, you're right. They do. <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> there are theories about it and there are hypotheses about it, but the real important thing is they do. And because they do, you have to be ready. Oh, that is really good point. Yeah. And you, because you're basically working a skeleton staff at five o'clock on a Friday over the course of the weekend, you're working a skeleton staff yeah. to deal with that recall. So you want to be as ready as possible. And when you can't get an after hours phone number of somebody that you need to get a hold of or an after hours email of somebody that you yeah. need to get a hold of, it causes all kinds of problems. So again, recalls, only happen when they aren't expected and they aren't planned. Every recall is unexpected and unplanned. And so to make them fast and easy requires practice and being ready. It's never when your strongest staff is there. You know what I mean? Your yeah. strongest, well, best trained staff is there. All right. So we've been asking everybody that we've interviewed the exact same questions and uh, one of or two of the same What questions. did other people say about why... Recalls happen on Friday afternoon. Uh, you're going to say that. <laughs> uh, 
We've been asking the exact same two questions towards the end of every interview. And so one of them is, what is your favorite part of Food Safety Consortium? Where do you see opportunities? And where do you see opportunities for Food Safety Consortium as a conference? That question takes a little bit more thought than what's the biggest recall. <laughs> of course, Food Safety Consortium is a great networking opportunity. And I found that some of the sessions are different topics or different angles on topics than I find at other conferences. And so the learnings have been good. The network has been good. So I appreciate the chance to hear and learn from all kinds of people in the food safety industry what's on their minds. Opportunities? Well, I wonder why there are more people here. So maybe an opportunity is to market a little bit better to get more people here. Because I think the more people that come, the broader the perspective, the greater the learning, at least for me, hearing different stories about how people handle different food safety crises or food safety situations. One woman was talking a lot about pest control and rat problems that she solved for an entire city. So these are interesting things. And I think the more people that come, the better. So what does the word trust mean to you? Well, at the most fundamental level, it means do what you say you're going to do and receive what you're told you're going to receive. If those things happen, I think trust is established. However, I think that some of it depends on what's being promised or what's being delivered, what's being received. Because if I say I'm going to bring you a candy bar at five o'clock and I show up with a candy bar, I'm not sure that's going to create a whole level of trust between us. But if I can say, I'm sure that if you do things this way, it's going to keep you safe, and it does, then there's a lot of trust. So doing what you say you're going to do, getting what you think you're going to get is the relational dynamic. And then the depth or the strength of the exchange builds the trust. That's awesome. Well, Roger, we have some advice for you. Don't eat poop. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take that advice. Great. Thank you so much, Roger. <laughs>